0: Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, January 2nd. Now, I imagine most of you listeners have already picked up on this fact, but a quick disclaimer to start today's show. We're not going to have intro nor outro music on either today nor tomorrow's mini break podcast episodes. Why is that the case? Well, it's not because we're ditching those jazzy tunes to start this podcast here in 2024. No, it's because our super producer. Daniel Westoff. He's going to be on the road the next few days as he makes the drive back from Westoff Family HQ in Florida to Cracked Rackets HQ in Indianapolis with our trusty mascot, our dog Quavo, at his side. Thus, again, if I misspeak, if. A cuss word sneaks out of my mouth. Unfortunately, your ears will be burdened with that, as again, he's going to be on the road the next two days. Nevertheless, just because we're without our super producer doesn't mean we're going to leave you high and dry from a content standpoint. No, it's the opening week of the 2024 season. I'm ready to overreact everything that I see unfold and certainly as fun as what the last 48 72 hours have been these past 24 they might have been our best thus far here in this 2024 season as we saw so many different players make their return to the court throughout the course of yesterday's action of course most notably and our headline here to start today's show was the return of 22 time major champion Rafael Nadal he's back He's in Brisbane. And boy, did he look like himself in a straight set victory over Dominic Thiem. Now, we'll break down the mechanics of that victory in further depth here on today's show. But perhaps anyone out there who is wondering, might this be the Rafa retirement tour here in 2024? Will this version of Rafa look like a shell of himself after an 11th month layoff due to injury? Well, if match number one was any indication of what we're going to see from Rafa when he does decide to be on court this season. You can expect the Rafa we've seen, dare I say, dominate the professional tennis world throughout the course of his career. I mean, he looked stellar. He looked like he hadn't missed a beat. And again, on today's show, I'll break down the mechanics of his straight set victory over Dominic Team, But while Rafa was certainly the headline of headlines, there was plenty of other entertaining action dispersed throughout the tennis world over the course of the last 24 hours, not just Rafa's victory in Brisbane. How about Jana Konfman, the victory over Sebastian Corda as well? Our guy, Rinky Hijikata, continuing to consolidate his spot inside the ATP Top 100. He gets a straight set victory over Tanasi Kokonakis. We can break down all of that ATP Brisbane action. We can get to the WTA side of things in Brisbane as well as again that's perhaps our most loaded draw from top to bottom name by name we have in perhaps all the globe here this week and while we still haven't seen most of our top seeds in action we saw players like Azarenka, Nascova, Kenan all play yesterday on the women's side. So, obviously, I want to spend some time talking all things Brisbane here on today's show. We got to get to Auckland as well. I mean, if Alina Svidalina and Caroline Wozniacki are sharing a court, you know we're going to talk about it here on today's show. And again, we're not going to get too stat heavy here today. We'll save the statistic talk for perhaps when we have a month or two months, three months of stats to analyze, a larger sample size for us to dive into. But again, Wozniacki, Svitolina, two of the defining names of my tennis fan life and I imagine many of you listeners have grown accustomed to watching them compete over the past decade plus they each look excellent. I'll describe why Alina Svidalina was able to earn a straight set victory though yesterday in Auckland and talk about who else joined her in the winner's circle. Players like defending Auckland champion 2023 US Open women's singles winner Coco Goff. She kicks off her 2024 campaign with a straight set victory. We've got Young Sending talents as well, Brenda Fruvertova, one of the most talented teenagers we have in the globe. Of course, you've got Lulu Sun, a former NCAA champion, NCAA doubles finalist. While at the University of Texas, we can break down both of their matches. The return of Emirata Kanu as well. I do want to spend some time in Auckland, as again I thought most of the day's highlight. Not most of the day's highlights, maybe not even a plurality of the day's highlights, but certainly some significant headlines. Emerging from that event, so we'll talk Auckland. We'll talk both sides of the Brisbane action. Obviously, we're going to get to Hong Kong. I saw Chilich blow nine match points. I thought a couple of those match points reprehensible misses for Marin Chilich. But again. It's been a while since we've seen him compete. Another guy whose 2023 was plagued by injuries. It's great to have him back. How did he look outside of the nine match points that he blew? We can discuss that, discuss the day's other winners there. And then, of course, we'll get to United Cup. I know Djokovic was pushed to three sets. Some other, dare I say, lesser shows. <coughs> Gilgros. <coughs> Obviously, that's a joke, by the way. Gil Gross is one of my dearest friends. We're going to leave that joke in, but obviously, Gil Gross, he has a whole show dedicated to Novak Djokovic. And a lot of you listeners, I know a lot of tennis fans out there, they are dedicated to being on the Novak Djokovic fan beat. Dare I say, other shows might choose to lead with a Djokovic three-set victory, but I think a lot of that three-set result was self-inflicted wounds by Novak Djokovic. Sometimes I just wonder early in the season at an event like this, does he just want to play a three-set match to get calloused up to ensure he still has that extra gear, not that that that's ever in doubt, but that gear of, okay, it's winning time, it's time for me to dominate, and ultimately, again, he breaks... Lukáčka right out of the bat in the third. That third set was never really in doubt. That's why it's not the headline of headlines here on today's show. It's not even the headline from United Cup. I thought Borna Chorich's win over talent Greek Spore was actually more informative of something new we might see this season. Or not new, but a reinvigorated Chorich, perhaps, throughout the course of the year. So we'll break down the day's United Cup results, not just the men's side of things either way. But Oh, by the way, excuse me, that's one of those misspeaks. Maybe I'd have West... I wouldn't have Westhoff added that out. You'd have to hear that on a normal episode no matter what. But anyways, Von Droseva, Zachary. Mixed doubles, we can talk all things United Cup as well as, again, the purpose of today's episode to break down the last 24 hours in the pro tennis world. Of course, quickly, before we get into further depth, I suppose that was the quick synopsis of everything we've seen over the last 24, but if you're looking for in-depth analysis, not of the pro tennis world, but perhaps you're a college tennis fan or someone who sees players like Ben Shelton, like Emma Navarro, like Peyton Stearns, like Ayana Kaufman or other You see their success they're having on the pro tour. You know they all played college tennis, and you're thinking to yourself, hmm, at college tennis. It's intriguing me. Maybe this is the year I want to get into it. We've got the perfect primer for all of you listeners over on the Great Shot podcast feed. You can hear myself, our dear friends John Parsons, Chris Hallioras break down our top 10 Division 1 men's and women's teams heading into the 2024 season. Obviously, those top 10 teams are often going to be filled with the players who in the future will become top 100 ATP WTA singles and doubles players. So if you want to become more familiar with the names, you want to Become more familiar with the teams. Go check out that Great Shot podcast feed. Of course, we're also still rocking and rolling over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed as well. So if you haven't already, go catch up on all of our interviews. I try to make those topics, I try to make it possible for those conversations to age well. Not make them too focused on what those players, those coaches, whatever are doing in that particular moment. So again. Great shot podcast feed, Cracked Interviews podcast feed, obviously here on the mini break or on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. If you haven't already, please go do subscribe, leave a five-star rating, leave a little review as well. Maybe there are some specific topics you'd like us to discuss more of here in 2024. We'd be happy to do so. We just need to know what you listeners are looking for. So again, leave those in the comments section, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you listen to this show, or feel free to tweet at us, Instagram, whatever the verb is, to Instagram us. Is it hit us on the gram? Uh, I'm not sure what the vernacular is exactly, but at Crack crack, Tour, you can tweet at me, message me directly, at AL Gruskin. Anyways, again, a shout out to all of you listeners who tune in day in, day out. A shout out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point, -point tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products at the best prices in the tennis world. With that said, I mean, I kind of got into it already, but let's start with Rafa's return in Brisbane. Again, it's been about 11 months since we've seen Rafa in action. The last time we saw him playing, of course, was at last year's Australian Open. He got knocked out by Mackenzie McDonald in round number two as the, dare I say, defending champion heading into last year's Australian Open. Obviously a variety of injuries, whether it's toe, whether it's foot, whether it's knee, whether it's hip, whether it's shoulder. Rafa's experienced just about every injury possible within the realm of the tennis world throughout the course of his career. And look, early in his career, when he's 24, 5, 6, 7, bouncing back from those injuries, maybe even in his early 30s, you had a little bit more certainty that when Rafa was able to To return to the court, we would see the very best version of him. But look, Rafa's going to turn 38 years old. Let me say that again. Rafa is going to turn 38 years old. This upcoming June. He is currently 37, and to see any 37 year old, not just a former 22 time Grand Slam champion, a guy who's put over a thousand matches, over 1,300 matches on his body at the tour level in his career, a guy who has that sort of mileage, the guy who has his track record, just the totality of injuries he's faced. You know, to ask that player to come back late in his career, you always are going to have some sort of doubt, some sort of hesitancy. But, oh, my God, like – he just looked like Rafa. I don't know how else to describe it. I mean, obviously, it was a little bit slower from a break point perspective yesterday for Rafa. You look uh, overall, in terms of that first set, Rafa wasn't really able to manufacture many breakpoint chances until late in that opening set. That said, once he got that first break, he started rocking and rolling from there. Rafa ultimately 7-5, 6-1 victory over Dominic Team. I mean... What's most impressive? The fact that he made two-thirds of his first serves in his first match back. The fact that he won 90% of his first serve points. Let me say that again. He won 90% of his first serve points in his first match back in 11 months. If that's not enough for you, here's a stat. He lost six points on serve, period. Let me say that again. Six points on serve, period period, and I understand Rafa is built, particularly on this court, on this surface, to exploit the game of a Dominic team who's got that one-handed backhand, right, and, you know, anyone who's been in this game long enough since you're six years old, you know, lefty with heavy topspin into a one-handed backhand, that is a match-up nightmare, and yet it was the ruthless efficiency, the precision, the routine nature of about which Rafa went through his surface games. He lost six points on serve in the entire match, and the plus-one Arsenal, the plus-one, plus-one Arsenal was there. You just... You know the Rafa combinations, right? Forehand cross, forehand cross, forehand line, forehand cross. Oh, you think you're going to go down the line with his backhand to bait him into playing backhand cross into your forehand Dominic team? No, no, no. That backhand's going right back up the line. If you try to hit that backhand down the line twice on him, then that second ball is just going to be knifed with a backhand cross-court angle, where, again, his ability to get outside the ball to create that angle, the top spin he's able to generate. It's so visceral, right? It takes two seconds of watching Rafa's swing Pattern his swing flight to I mean, again this is why I I try not to talk too much Rafa too much Djokovic because I just feel stupid when I do in the sense that what sort of analysis and I'm gonna take another shot at Gil because I love him very much I don't know what sort of analysis any of us can offer on a Djokovic on a Rafa at this stage of their careers that you haven't already heard described about these players thousands of times over the course of the past two decades as they've each dominated the men's tennis ranks. Again, the most impressive part was how fluid he looked in and out of corners. Yeah, is he as fast as he once was getting out of those corners? No, he's not 26 anymore. He's 30 freaking seven years old. But... He doesn't waste a step. You know, he's going to Charlie Hustle each and every ball. He has the opportunity to do so. The backhand down the line pass he earned to earn the clinching break, uh, to clinch the break, excuse me, to go up to Love in set number two to kind of pull away from there. Like, it's just vintage Rafa. You give him an inch, he takes a mile, right? He just, you cannot afford any sort of sloppiness and, you know, I don't want to say it was a sloppy final service game from Dominic Team at the end of set number one to get broken. I thought Rafa hit a couple of good passes. I thought Rafa got him stretched, opened up that inside out forehand to, dare I say, hit through the court, move forward behind to really assert himself there. But it, it was certainly a sloppy game from Dominic Team to start set number two. And again, you just can't go down a set break to Rafael Nadal because he's not, again, you give him an inch, he takes a mile, he's not going to give you an inch at any point of the match. Everything you take from Rafa, it's earned. And you've always known that about the 22-time Slam champion throughout the course of his career. But, I mean, again, I guess for me, the biggest lesson learned here is that, and I don't think this is a lesson learned. If you go and listen to the off-season podcast I did, he's getting mentioned three times in the first 15 minutes. Honestly, I better get a residual check from Gil Gross after this podcast. And, again— You're talking about one of my dearest friends I have in the industry. Of all the people I have met since I have graduated college, I would put Gil Gross in one of the five closest friends I have made during that time span. And a lot of you listeners know, as you get older, you don't really have a need to make new friends. You kind of stick with the crew that got you there again. I'm 28 years old. I would be – I mean, I guess in this industry – You know, again, I try to be in media. I want to meet all of you listeners. I want to meet you people. I want to meet new players. I want to meet new coaches. I hope that someday they become my friend. This is quite the tangent here. Maybe I'd have Westoff cut this otherwise. But, you know, as Ryan Rosillo, who I like to listen to quite a bit, says, you're not really in the business of making new friends as you get older. You know the friends you got and you kind of want to roll with them. Gil is certainly in that, you know, again, Gil is one of my dearest friends. But anyways, all that is to say, I was on his podcast in the month of December. We were talking about what to expect from Rafa in 2024, and we kind of had that discussion. Would this be a season that Rafa limps through? Would he just want to play one more year for himself just to say, okay, I kind of went out on my own terms. I didn't go out injured, even though it wasn't my highest level. That's just not who Rafael Nadal is. Rafa has one speed, and that speed is 1,000% full tilt at all times. And that's what we saw last night. Like, I do think this was a stark reminder that anyone who expected Rafa to limp through the finish line, anyone who expected we were going to get a 75% Rafa, that's just—Rafa will retire before he gives us 75% Rafa. Because again, Rafa knows one speed. And perhaps that's why his body has broken down to the degree that it has. He's such a physical player who no one has ever doubted Rafa's intensity. No one has ever doubted Rafa's desire. No one has ever doubted Rafa's effort, not just on a match-by-match basis and event-by-event basis, but straight up on a point-by-point basis in his career. And we saw that last night. Like It was just a clear-cut, okay, why is Rafa back? It's because he's comfortable enough with his level. He's comfortable enough with his fitness that he can be... At least 90%, 95% of himself. And again, ask any tennis player in the world. You can change your current game to become 90, 90% of Rafa. I think just about all but the top 10 players in the world would make that trade. And so again, Rafa looked like Rafa. Six points lost on serve. That tells the story. Now, that's a little disappointing for a Dominic team, who, by the way, wasn't too shabby on serve either. He wins two-thirds of his first serve points. That's below top 50 average. It's not great. Again, it would if if he could have any game back it would be that first service game of the second set because there were a couple of loose forehand errors. By the way, the forehand approach he misses on set point to end set number 1. He overcooked it. But by the way, that's Dominic Team. Dominic Team has one racket speed. He's not massaging the ball ever. It's full tilt at all times. Uh, he just overcooks a forehand approach that he probably makes 92 out of 100 times he tries to hit. That said, you give Rafa an inch. He'll take a mile. Rafa is a straight-set winner. He advances to round number two. We're up next for Nadal. Will be a date with, uh, with excuse me, Jason Kubler, the Australian wild card who knocked off Aslan Karatsev in round number one. Karatsev was the number eight seed. Kubler ultimately a six four six seven victory. Karatsev forced to retire after that second set. And with that said, let's get to the rest of the Brisbane action. That's probably enough on Rafa for now. You look at yesterday's winner across the board, certainly I would say most notable after Rafa. How about our guy? Yeah, that's right. Our guy. Yana Konfman. That is my guy. I texted him immediately after the match. I got the response before I went to bed. Again, that's my boy. I mean, I, I grew up watching Yana Konfman. Yeah, he's like four years older than me, but, you know, again, watching him as a freshman clinched the four-peat for Stevie Johnson at that NCAA tournament a thrilling 7-6 in the third victory over Justin Shane at the number five singles position that's right I'm flexing my college tennis memory you ask me anything that happened 2010 to 2017 in college tennis I will remember it photographically you ask me what I ate for dinner yesterday I'll be like ah I think I had pasta. Like, it's just, again, the things we choose to remember how the human brain works. Shout out for a weird tangent. Anyways, down an early break in set number one. Man, Yannick just makes you, I caught myself before I swore. Yannick just makes you really effing uncomfortable. And the way he goes about doing that, the servant volley the drop shot. You're just never going to get into those extended 10, 15-shot rallies. You're never going to have a four-game stretch where you're hitting a bunch of forehands, a bunch of backhands, finding your rhythm from the ground because Honfman won't let you. Whether it's the massive kick serve, serve and volley play behind it, whether it's just, again, mixing in the drop shot to get Corda out of the center third to get Corda uncomfortable. He kept Seppi Corda on his back foot. And again, Floriana Kaufman, who at 32 years old, reached his career high of number 45 in the rankings last year, technically did it at 31, turned 32 in the offseason. But I mean, what a run it's been for Yana Kaufman over these last 52 weeks against top, uh, excuse me, 50 opponents. Now eight different top 50 victories for him. That's a top 15 number, uh, excuse me, top 20 number over the uh, top 20 number, excuse me, top 25 number over the last 52 weeks. And, you know, again, in terms of top 25 victories for him now, I believe that's his seventh. I think he's now seven and eight against the top 25 over his last 52 weeks. Little disappointing loss for Corda, certainly, particularly given how you know he was up in early break. And Corda was only able to generate four break points in the match, one of four on break point conversions. Obviously, Hanfman able to generate six break points for himself, three and six on those conversions. The big thing for Corda and why I'm not concerned—he made just fifty-six percent of his first serves. It's first match of the season. I'm never gonna overreact. I'll overreact in the positive unless something looks particularly disastrous. I saved my overreactions for the glass half full. I'll save the glass half empty overreactions after the first month of play once we leave Australia, but certainly a disappointing start for quarter, particularly given he's got a ton of points to defend here to start the season. Finalists last year and what it was it, Brisbane, wherever it was where he had the match point on Djokovic, quarter-finalist at the Australian Open. Those are some real points for him to defend. Now, again, pretty much the middle six months of the season, he's got nothing to defend, as he dealt with injuries all season long, but again, really good win uh, for Hoffman to get things rocking and rolling, and by the way, with the victory, Hanfman back into the top 50 of the live rankings, currently sitting at 48, three spots off his career high. Uh, He would have to win, I think, three more matches to get back up there. Wouldn't have to win the event to get to that career high of 45, but might just well have to make the final to get there at this 250. That said, I guess upset wise, you know, again, Karatsev forced to retire yesterday. Uh, Shelton, uh, excuse me, Korda forced, uh, forced out of the event other seeds upset Sebi Baez got to be a little disappointed he was upset and I think it was 3-2 or 2-1 certainly in that second set that's when I stopped watching I thought Baez had it but man credit to the qualifier Lucas Klein 4-6-6-3-6-4 he's able to knock off the number six scene in the battle of the Tomases you had Tomas Mychek a guy who if you are a long-time listener I'm talking long-time listener I'm talking going back to 2018-2019 you know I always had a little fixation with Thomas Micek. Just really solid off of both wings. Again, does he have anything that's going to overwhelm you? No, but I kind of like his game, and he gets a 7-6 in the third victory over Tomas Martin. Echeverry now, again, Echeverry, the surprise quarter finalist at last year's French Open. So much of his success has been clay court-centric, but I've said this before, I'll say it again. Echeverry is Kasperud point eight five. Like, Echeverria is a top 50 player, regardless of surface. He might be a top 20, top 15 guy on the dirt. So that's a disappointing loss. But keep in mind, my check was able to come through qualifying, get a couple of matches under his belt. This was uh, Echeverria's first match of the 2024 season. So for the first time here this year, we're going to assess that as a schedule loss. That's right, a schedule loss for Tomas Martin at Chiveri, Ultimately knocked out, again, one of five seeds eliminated in round number one here in Brisbane. Last thing I want to bring up uh, before we move on to our next event. And again, there, there might have been some other results I missed, but... Shout out to our guy, another one of our guys, multi-time-cracked interviews appearance, former UNC All-American Rinky Hijikata. Obviously, Hijikata was one of those top 100 debutantes last year. He's looking to consolidate his spot. And again, he's got a lot of challenger success dispersed throughout his 2023 season. But anytime you get maybe even one main draw victory at the tour level, you pretty much make up for two challenger quarterfinal or further results. And for Hichikata to get a straight set victory over Tenasi Kokonakis yesterday, he was just better. Yeah, Kokonakis had the biggest weapons, the serve, the plus one forehand. Hichikata was fitter. Hichikata was more fluid. Hichikata was able to find that Kokonakis backhand, take away the thing Kokonakis wanted to do most, which was swing forehands from the middle of the court. Really nice victory for Hijikata. And then I lied. I got one more quick note. Really nice victory for a guy I am very high on entering this season. In Matteo Arnaldi, Arnaldi three-set winner uh, as well yesterday. In his case, it was over Marton Fucevic. Again, Fucevic on the back half of his career. Certainly, that's a win if Arnaldi wants to consolidate his top fifty spot. He has to have. But again, come from behind three sets for Arnaldi. Six seven six four seven six. The guy can just do a little bit of everything, and he is a plus athlete, particularly from a fluidity standpoint. So really impressed by the performance we got from him. Again, Arnaldi advancing to round number two. We still have one round one matchup to go. Qualifier Alex Mickelson going to take on Ugo Umber here Tuesday night in the States. Wednesday, obviously, in Australia I'm in. Like, talk about weapons. Talk about plus-one tennis guys who are going to look to move forward. Again, Mickelson, a little more in your face with that serve and volley tactic, with uh, how frequently he tries to push forward to the net. But, obviously, Ugo's all about the plus-one forehand and He'll just have the ability to, to test that Mickelson movement. Uh, we'll see if Mickelson has the plus one prowess to match at this point of his career. We'll see how much he's progressed uh, movement wise over the course of his offseason as well. Anyways, that's your update on all things Brisbane. And right now, according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast, it's Grigor Dimitrov still the favorite, 32.9%. He'll take on Daniel Eltmeyer in round number two. After that, you've got Runa, 16.8%, Fuelin, 7.6%. According to Tennis Abstract, Rafa only a 4.6% chance of winning. But again, Tennis Abstract, a little more ELO rating focused, a little more, foc- uh, more centric on what your results have been for those projections than what you have historically accomplished. So anyways, if we see this version of Rafa... 4.6% is just not doing justice to his percent chances of winning this 250 event in his return to the court. That said, that's all things Brisbane on the men's side. We'll get back to the women's side of Brisbane here in a little bit. Let's head over to Auckland next and let's talk about another highlight match returning to prime time veterans to our lives here on the tennis court that of course was the battle between Alina Svitolina and Caroline Wozniacki Wozniacki goes up the early break but in the end it's Svitolina who earns the straight set victory 6-4 6-3 and the most encouraging sign I will continue to say for Alina Svitolina it's not how quickly she got her movement back but by the way it's like she never missed a beat. Like if you watched Alina Svitolina in 2019 and watched her in and out of corners here in 2023, you'd never know in between that time she had a child and she was out of the game for a year stretch because the fluidity is back, the you know the court senses, the anticipation skills are back as well. And it was just an old fashioned brouhaha. It was an old fashioned grind between these two former top five players in the world. And look, Svitolina just had, I'm going to use this word again because I was complimented on it on Twitter. Thank you for the kind words. And by the way, to you listeners, whenever you tweet out one of the episodes we do, know it's going to be an automatic retweet from me. It's always greatly appreciated when I don't have to be the one uh, shamelessly plugging our content here at Cracked Rackets. That said, there was just a little extra chutzpah behind the forehand of Alina Svitolina, a little extra oomph for those of you less familiar with the Yiddish, uh, I suppose, the Yiddish phrasing vernacular. Anyways, Fidolina was exceptional. like She was excellent yesterday, and I thought she just had a little more juice behind that forehand. You know, Caroline Wozniacki's still going to leave that forehand hanging at times, still going to play that high loopy ball, and I just thought Svitolina was prepared for it. She was disciplined. I love that after the match, she mentioned how fond she was of the fact that she was able to play another long grinding match with Wozniacki. I'm sure there was a time both weren't sure if they were ever going to get, excuse me, that experience again. Again, an hour 44 uh, for a four and three match, speaks to the grind that it was. Svidalina able to save six of nine break points. Wozniacki able to save five of ten. Again, eight breaks in what a 19 game match. Speaks to the physicality on display. I just thought it was a little bit easier for Svidalina to end points off of both wings. Forehand line, backhand line. There's some really impressive movements, some really nice side to side. Again, just Wozniacki was a little bit less effective putting things away with her forehand wing, just offering a little bit of a window for Sfinelina to crawl her way back into rallies. Sfinelina made the most of it and you know, again, for Olivia Vinilina, I'm the comeback tour now since making her return to the tour last season. She's twenty one and twelve. Like she's winning sixty four percent of her matches uh during this stretch of time. You look for her record against top fifty opponents, she's eight and eight, she's five and three against the top twenty. She belongs in the top twenty of the WTA rankings. Right now, sitting at twenty four, a title this week would get her all the way back up to number twenty two. Of course she'd still have to go through Coco Goth to get that title. Goff, the unequivocal number one seed, looked Real good in a straight set victory over Claire. Lou was up for love in that opening set before, there I say, taking her foot off the gas. Now, credit to Lou who just said, fuck it. Sorry, it slipped out. Sorry. Sorry, it slipped out. If you're listening with the young ones in the car, you didn't get the quack sound effect there. That one's on me. I take the L. But yeah, Claire Lou just started swinging, and look, Claire Lou's got a little bit of a hitch in how she takes back that forehand, it's like a quick loop, and then she explodes through it, the loop being the take back, that's what my coach always called it, he said make the loop, drop the tip, give it a flip, my coach was big on rhyming, um, which maybe explains why I am how I am, it was always drop the tip, give it a flip, the extension pronation combination on the serve, there's... I could go through all the isms of Joe Brennan over the years. He used to always say the word "listen" instead of listen. And then you'd be like, Joe, it's listen. He was always trying to bait someone to saying listen, to which you could say, well, then why do they have a T in that word? And so that was always one of his bits that he did, listin. Anyways, listin up, folks. You know, Lina Svitolina's looking real good. Caroline Wozniacki, by the way, unequivocally a top 50 player in the world right now. I'd probably put her even in that top 35 range, the physicality. Again, the consistency on the backhand wing. Yeah, the serve was a little bit sitting up. But that's always been the case for Wozniacki. Again, given how long her layoff was to see her move as well as she is right now, I'd feel pretty good if I'm a Wozniacki fan coming out of this. Again, between 2023 and 20 between January 2020 and August 2023, she played zero matches, zero professional matches during that stretch of time. Uh, obviously she's going to get a wild card into whatever she wants to play, so we'll get to see plenty of Wozniacki whenever, we, whenever she wants to be seen throughout the course of 2024. I liked her level, really enjoyed what I saw from Svitolina. She advances, and then, you know, again, I started to get into the Coco Goff of it all. Goff's forehand looks good. Like, there's a little extra bite behind it now, and, again, technique-wise, it still looks the same, but... And I always think, like, how do you actually quantify this, but doesn't Coco Goff look a little stronger? Like, don't those arms look a little bit more muscular than they did even as recently as last season? And by the way, it makes sense. Coco Goff, yeah, she's been in our lives forever, but she's still just 19 years old. Like, the body is still maturing. She's still going to put on, you know, again, with every off season, you imagine all these players are hitting the gym. They all like to come back a little bit stronger, but when you're hitting the gym frequently at 19 years old, you're just going to have perhaps bigger dividends paid and, Like, I swear to God, her arms just look more muscular. Like, and I mean that in the best possible sense. And, you know, again, yeah, did her foot go off the gas up for love? Sure. Was that match ever in doubt? Absolutely not. And, again, the serve still looks good. The movement in and out of corners, if she has put on any more muscle, it has not affected her fluidity whatsoever. Buy the stock in Coco Goff if you haven't already. I just don't, th- you know, again, I don't know what you, I don't know if you could get a good price for Coco Golf stock right now. You really should have bought it probably post loss to Kennan at Wimbledon last year because after that North American stretch and seeing her start out the year as strong as she does here from an eye test perspective in Auckland, it just feels like she's going to be a top 10 player for as long as she's on the WTA tour moving forward. That said, you want to battle tomorrow between teenagers? Buckle into Auckland, folks. And I don't know if it's tomorrow or if it's technically Wednesday night here uh, on the East Coast, but Brenda Fruvertova, Coco Goth, must-watch match for Mini Break podcast listeners because I know you guys, like me, are tennis nerds. Like, you want to know about those matches. And look, Brenda at the junior circuit was often overshadowed by her older sister, Linda, but the only reason she was overshadowed is because she had to play Linda in the finals of all of those big events. Eddie, her, Orange Bowl. And, you know, again, Brenda's two years younger than her sister Linda. Still just 16 years old, already started the year at 117 in the world. I'm glad you asked. What is Brenda Fruvertova's record last season? She went 49 and 9. 49 and 9. Like,. What are we doing here? She went 7-0 in Pro Finals last year, and none of them came above the 60K level. But I do not give a blank because she went 42-9 last year. She's now 52-9 in her last 52 weeks. Comes through qualifying, now a straight set victory over on a blink of a... The technique is so pure. The backhand is beautiful again, for someone her age to move as well as she does, for someone her age to be able to inject the pace that she does. I like her forehand much more than I like her sisters, to be honest. They both have those elite backhands, like it's top 100. Watch for Brenda Fruver-Tobin. Again, she's 16 years old. She hasn't had the Mira Andriva Wimbledon run that slaps you in the face and makes her a name that you have to watch moving forward, but Quite frankly, if you aren't watching for and monitoring the movements of Brenda Fruvertova, you're probably not listening to this podcast on Tuesday, January 2nd. You're probably doing other New Year's things. Brenda Fruvertova, remember the name and watch her match round number two in Auckland against Coco Gauff. That said, uh, your other results, certainly to run through all the Auckland gauntlet yesterday. You had an upset via, uh, who was the seed that got knocked off? Nope, I'm thinking of a different, excuse me, event. I am thinking of what happened at the WTA event in Brisbane, where we're going to go next. Um, but in terms of the other action, just to quickly run through a couple more things. Shout out Lulu Sun. It was an all-college tennis battle. She took on Florida 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 Gator All-American McCartney Kessler. Ultimately, it was the lefty Lulu Sun, six four six three. I'm a fan of Lulu's game against Sneaky. Nice pop uh, in everything she tries to do. Comfortable moving forward as well. And you look for the qualifier Lulu Sun. Reached her career high 189 last season with her victory. Lulu Sun up back up to that career high of number 189 here this week and in terms of tour level victories in Lulu Sun's career. I mean, again, doesn't have a ton of them to turn to prior to qualifying this week in Auckland. In fact, at her career at the tour level, this is just her second career tour level victory, the first coming back in 2022 when she made a quarterfinal in Seoul. Heck of a victory for the 22-year-old former University of Texas All-American. Lulu, perhaps your biggest surprise winner yesterday. Your other winners: Petra Martic, Three sets over Rebecca Masarova. That's a brutal first-round match for both. Bavara Gracheva gets a much-needed win. Three sets over Teresa Martinsova. You had Yuan Yua. Three sets over Young American Rising American Kayla Day. And then and last, but certainly not least, got the return of Emma kanu the 2021 U.S. Open champion who has just had so many ups and downs since winning her maiden Grand Slam title since catching fire in New York two years ago. It was steady. Like, again, she still has that backhand that is gorgeous. Um it can still get tested on the forehand wing with pace. She'll pull out of that forehand wing in particular. That's when the shanks start to come, and the ball will either float a little bit short or leak a little bit wide on her. And I thought Elena Gabriella Russa was very relentless in her power, relentless in her pace. Again, Radicano, I believe, was up a break three or four different times in that. It couldn't have been four times. I think she was up a break. It was either two or three different times in that deciding set. In fact, I know Radakanu served for it up 5-4 before Rusa was able to break, but then, of course, Raducanu able to break right back, able to get over the finish line, 7-5 in the third. She's able to close things out. Now, she's got an absolute battle on her hands in match number two as she will take on Alina Svitolina. You know, again, the second serve was definitely a liability for Radakanu and her movement out, you know— The hardest part in making a long return after a long layoff, and she hasn't played a match since April of 2023 in Stuttgart, the hardest part for me is the footwork on my first shot after the serve. And I know, Alex, some of you listeners are thinking, Alex, how dare you try to equate your game with a professional tennis player's game. I get that. I get that criticism. It's fair. I'm just telling you what I've experienced. Like, for me, that's the hardest part. It's not the making contact with the ball. It's not the getting back. Well, it is getting back in shape and getting your match lungs back and, you know, dealing with the. Dealing with your heart pumping from adrenaline is a completely different sort of heart pump than just running on the treadmill. There's a huge difference between, obviously, being in shape and being in game shape. I think I'm a R- Raducanu, well, clearly in shape. She still would be the first probably to admit she's not in game shape. And yet, to get over the finish line, 7-5 in the third, Radakanu going to Radakanu. It's an encouraging win for someone who's clearly better than her current ranking of 299. Uh, and again, she's a former Grand Slam champion. Twenty-one years old, pretty charismatic, pretty distinguishable face amongst the young rising stars. The reason I bring that up is, like, people know her, and thus I think tournaments are going to be more inclined to give her a wild card into big events. Again, she's a Slam champion. Like, she probably should get the uh, should get a wild card. That's always a tough sentence to get through, so we're going to bail out of that sentence and just say Radakanu looked pretty solid in her return to the court in Auckland. That said, as anticipated by Tennis Abstract still, uh, excuse me, as anticipated, Tennis Abstract still has Coco Goff. 67.1. Two-thirds, she's a two-thirds favorite to win the event, and we're in the round of 16. What's so fascinating about that is who's still alive in the draw, and I guess it's a nerd's nerd of who's who, but like, Emma Navarro's played over 85 matches. She's won two-thirds of them. She's still alive in the draw. You know, Wang Xinyu, still alive in the draw. The right, has got some serious pomp. She played really good tennis down the home stretch of last year. you still got third-seeded Lucia Cerenko, fifth-seeded Marie Boshkova, who managed to survive yesterday but ultimately advance in three sets over Magdalena Frich. That bottom quarter, the Svitolina quarter, is maybe the best quarter we have of any quarter in the globe this week. You've got Svitolina versus Radakanu playing the winner of Anisimova versus Bozkova in the quarterfinals. It's week number 1 and Auckland is the undercard event on the WTA tour this week as Brisbane's a 250. So, yeah, again as I alluded to yesterday, we're starting the year off with a bang and certainly looking forward to monitoring this Auckland draw down the home stretch. Again, if you're going to watch any second round match, across the globe this week boy power rankings of the 3 i'm going to go goff ruvertova 1 Radakanu Svitolina 2 and Anisimova Boshkova 3 but they're all really good matches to enjoy so make sure you're staying tuned uh, to all that action throughout the course of the week let's stick on the women's side here as we move on to Brisbane again the top card or that's the undercard the overcard that's not the expression but the headliner event on the WTA tour this week that WTA 500 level action again here is where we saw a couple of seeds knocked out and by a couple I mean just one Sonia Kennan knocked off by Rodiana uh, Rodianova yesterday, five and six. Rodianova, very funish funny in the post match press conference talking about the frustration of dealing with a Kennan who finds those lines so well, who in a moment's notice will throw in a drop shot or hit a ripper down the line, just do all sorts of things to make you uncomfortable and yet Rhythm was a little off for Kennan at various points. She ran certainly hot and cold throughout the course of the match. again ANOVA, the far steadier of the two, she manages to grind out a straight set. Impressive victory. I'm not going to lie, Brisbane yesterday on the women's side, probably what I watched the least of. So we'll rapid fire here through the winners. You all know how much stock I have, how much equity in the Linda Noskova is going to be a top 10 player position I have staked out for myself. The power is just so evident Again, the match toughness, the junior pedigree, the if I'm just in again, the technique is so pure. Uh, she grinds out a first match victory of the season, seven six in the third over to me. A Babos good victory for the young Czech player. Azarenka straight set victory over a very much inform Anna Kalinskaya. So certainly good to see Vika get her season off in the right footing. And again, when she's been healthy, the analytics have loved Azarenka over the last two years. She's been pretty consistently a top twenty five hold and break percentage player, even if the results haven't always been there. It just feels like there's been so many withdrawals, so many starts and stops for Azarenka over the past few seasons. And yet again, she remains an analytics darling. We all know how good a good Azarenka can be. The question is, can she hit that gear consistently without hurting herself this season? I guess we'll all wait to find out. She's a straight set winner. You also had wins from gedecky Burrell, who I like Clara Burell's game. I've always enjoyed the young French woman's game. She's not that young anymore. Clara Burell right now entering 2024. 20, yeah, she's 22 years old. That's still pretty young. Um, but 53 in the world, two off her career high. Former... Highly ranked junior as well, who can just do a little bit of everything. So good victory for Burel. Good victory for another player who came on really strong to end last season. Maybe the young player we've talked the least about: in twenty-one-year-old Argentinian Julia Reira. Reira, one twenty-three in the world after her victory qualifying first-round win in Brisbane. That's a new career high for the twenty-one-year-old. That she knocks on the door of a top one hundred debut again. All of that, uh, and then your last winner. How about DC, former Australian Open finalist? Danielle Collins, two-time NCAA singles champion. She gets a three-set victory over a player I am extraordinarily high on entering 2024 in Haley Baptiste. It was an old-fashioned slugfest. Like, again, there is not a lot of rhythm between these two, but uh, certainly, again, an enjoyable one. Two Americans who are clearly top 100. I would argue even top 50 players when they're playing there. But I mean, I don't think I have to argue for Collins that she's top 50 when she's playing her best. The question is just how healthy is she at any given moment. She looked good again, as did Baptiste, who I predicted both Baptiste and Collins. If you go listen to the podcast we did last week with our dear friend Ben Rothenberg, trying to predict the top 10 American women, we talked about how much depth there is right now in American women's tennis. I legitimately. Think I think there could be 20 top 100 American women at the end of this 2024 season. That's how good and honestly how young and rising this group is right now. DC's one of the veterans of that group, and she ain't ready to go away quite yet. Again, 6-3 in the third. She manages to advance over Baptiste. Right now, Sabalenka still your favorite, 29.2%. Rabakina, 25.9%. But you look at the most notable, I would say, round two matches coming up. Collins versus Juleen. Julian's got a ton of points to defend after she was a breakout star of the month of January, February on the WTA tour last season. So it'll be interesting to see how the Chinese veteran starts this year. But Kasachina versus Kostyuk in Osaka versus Pliskova in Astapenko versus Georgie. If you like to self-inflicted pain, that's the way you know. If you're a masochist. Uh, I think I used that word correctly. Tweet at me if I didn't. At AL Gruskin. But if you're a masochist, Ostapenko Georgie is the match for you. I can talk myself into noskova Kurstea. I can talk myself into Andriva Samsonova. I can talk myself into Alexandrova versus Riera. In fact, if you haven't watched Riera play, maybe that's the opportunity to do so. Things shaping up to be very fun in Brisbane. And again, we still haven't seen the top dogs. We haven't seen a Rabacina who takes on Gadecki round one. We haven't seen a Sabalenka who takes on Bronzetti round number one. Obviously, we'll have more WTA Brisbane coverage for you as the week progresses. Last but not least on the ATP side of things, let's head over to Hong Kong. All right, what to say about the Marin Cilic match points blown. Third set breaker, or was it the third set breaker? Maybe it was third set 4-5. Third set 4-5, Stroof serving. He had a backhand pass that I swear to God he'd make 95 out of 100 times. Maybe even 97 out of 100 times. And he just overcooked it. Like, it was one, yeah, he had to move forward to the net. It was kind of at an uncomfortable angle when he had to hit it. But, again, I— I thought it was really, really well done. And so I was surprised. Uh, or uh, excuse me, it was set up perfectly. And so I can't believe he wasn't able to get through there. Um, I mean, again, just there. there's a bunch of different things you could point to. He had another plus one forehand on top of the net. that he. I mean, he had multiple plus ones that he had. Uh, not maybe plus ones, but plus twos or plus three combos where he overcooked a backhand wide. He overcooked a forehand long. Streuf came up with a couple good serves. There was one beautiful little backhand cross court pass from Jan Lander Streuf on a Martin uh, Marin Chilich service match point. But there were some self inflicted wounds. I think of those nine match points, six of them were Chilich unforced, not forced, unforced errors by Chilich. And look, I mean, again, he's. He hasn't played a match in what? Marin Cilic's last match played, I believe, it was also January of last year. Yeah, no, no, no excuse me. He played one match Umag in July, but other than that, he played three total matches, with two of them coming the first week of the season last year. That's going to happen. There's going to be some rust. The footwork's not always going to be its cleanest. Really nice win for Jan Leonard Struve, who obviously has two more months before the free ride is over, and he's got. I don't want to say a thousand points to defend, but it might legitimately be a thousand points to defend in the months of March, April, early may, and obviously after that, he has some injury freedom to make up for, so if he can just stay top fifty through the end of May, then he can have another growth period uh in his resume but uh excuse me, on his ranking, but three six seven six seven six, he fought off nine match points. Will any other player fight off more than nine match points this season? I'm gonna offer. <sighs> No, like minus 150 odds that that does happen, that someone does surpass those nine match points or save more than nine match points. If you want a little taste of that action, you can go visit my makeup, my made up prop casino because that'd be fascinating. Does someone save more than nine match points in another match this season? If you have made it this far on the mini break podcast and feel inclined to tweet at me, I'm going to do more call and response uh, here this year. It's not because I've been attending more temple. It's not because I'm getting into my religious grounds and that's where call and response is most prominent in my life. No, it's because I want to hear from all of you listeners. Forget that rant about not making friends. I want to make new friends with all of you listeners. Uh, we'll keep the old. You know, one is still silver, though, and the other's gold. Um, anyone else know that nursery rhyme? Shout out to the nursery rhyme. A circle's round, it has no ends. That's how long I want to be your friend. Is my mom the only one who would say that to us or... Did others have to hear that song as well? Because that's a song burnt into my brain. Anyways, um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know where we go from here. Nine match points saved by Jan Lundertruth. I suppose a job well done by him. You look at the other results throughout the course of the day. Most shocking result was the lopsided nature. Seb Oefner, 1-2 over Mackie McDonald, but... Go back to the podcast we did with Damian Kust. Ofner was one of those low-key improvers last season who reached a new career high, who is now at a new career high at 27 years old. He's 40 in the world. He is the highest-ranked Austrian in the world, and he's going to be in serious Olympic qualifying position. Again, it's an Olympic year. That matters. Um, That's a job really well done by Sebastian Ofner to get his year rocking and rolling your other winners on the day. Straight set win from Yamir Kasmenovic. He had He's one of my make-or-break players here in 2024 where I'm just going to kind of give up on his top 20 upside if I don't see something special this season. That's going to be a podcast when I get back to Indianapolis, which will be Wednesday night. And then we're really rocking and rolling Thursday, Friday, Saturday because I don't have the burden of wanting to spend time with my family. I can really lock in on more podcast topics for all of you listeners. Anyways, Kasmenovic, straight-set winner. Hoosler, a straight set winner. Brody, a straight set winner. Huge win for Roberto Bautista. A goo in straight sets to get rocking and rolling. And then, shout out Lorenzo Musetti. Taste took on the talented teenager, Coleman Wong. I owe you all more Coleman Wong analysis. I know Damian Koos brought him up when we talked about our potential top 100 debutantes on a podcast on the Great Shot podcast feed. But, um, or was that a Great Shot podcast? No, that was a mini-break podcast. Excuse me. I know we talked about him then, but explosive, fluid, and I like the technique. I like that he got a little dog in him. Like, he's trying to get the crowd going, trying to— I don't want to say get in Musetti's head, but he's trying to play with some serious fire. And yet, is just one hell of an athlete. Maybe the most underrated athlete from a fluidity standpoint. Not the most powerful, but— in those best athlete conversations, I feel like Musetti gets left out too frequently. Now by whom? You might be asking. By me. Like I try to bring it I'm trying to bring it up more frequently. I do think he is one of the better athletes we have on the ATP tour. He gets a straight set win. Speaking of ridiculous athletes, Arthur Fee able to grind out a six three four six six one win over Borna Goyo. Now Goyo's the real deal. Former NCAA singles champion is going to stay in the top one hundred. His serve, his forehand, the aggression with which he plays, like There's just a place for it in the top 100 moving forward, but Arthur Fee's not a top 100 player. He's not a top 50 player either. I think the expectations for him are crack the top 20, maybe even sniff around top 15, top 10 status if things really break right for him this year because he didn't have that much success at the majors, hasn't had that signature moment at a major event yet, and I just think it's coming Three-set win for him to, dare I say, shake off the rust and get back into match form here to start 2024. That's all your Hong Kong action right now. According to the Tennis Abstract Singles forecast, Rublev, the top seed who we've yet to see in action, still your favorite, 40.9%. He'll take on Liam Brody in round number one. And again, there's some really good matches here. Hatchinov versus Rusevori in Surundalo versus RBA Some of you might be in. I can't watch RBA anymore. It's just like I know what an RBA match is. uh, So that's probably one I'll catch the highlights of. Von Desenskulp versus Jerry Shang in Kasmanovic versus Tiafo. In, in, in. Ding, 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 ding. That's our number one match uh, of round number two in Hong Kong. Tiafo versus Kasmanovic. Because again, Miamir is a former world junior number one. He's pretty good off both wings, like no definitive weakness uh, for the Serbian. And yet, just leaves a little bit something to be desired. Like I saw the gear he hit at Davis Cup to end last season. I just want to see that more consistently. 52 in the world right now is the 24-year-old. If things break right, he's a top 25 player to end this season. If they don't, he could be out of the top 50. Again, it's a make-or-break year in terms of what is his upside moving forward. That's what I want to find out. A match against Tianfo early in the season will be an excellent test to offer some sort of litmus uh, of let Test, excuse me of where he's at right now anyways that's all of your tour level action quick shout out to Clara Tawson who I mentioned yesterday she did get a straight set victory over Victoria Golubic to kick off her 2024 campaign if she's healthy it's when not if the 21 year old former top junior in the world will return to the top 50 of the rankings but last and certainly not least let's talk United Cup here quickly and I'm still not a hundred percent sure you know, again, I'll have to go look at the results. I think there's still a few more group play matches left to determine who is or isn't advancing to that quarterfinal round. But yesterday, here are the highlights. And, again, we'll rapid-fire through these here to end today's show. I guess i determine how long these shows are. But I don't have the most extensive thoughts. For Croatia, uh, straight-set victory for Church over sport. Three sets for Vekic over Rus. Borna looks good. He looks fit. He's hit the backhand so beautifully. And look, Greek Sport tried to play with pace through that Church forehand wing, as everyone does. Borna was ready. Borna was really nice in asserting himself. And again, I thought Church did a better job of playing with pace there. I say into the Greek Sport forehand, coaxing errors out of Talon, then vice versa. I thought he served pretty well, hit his spots pretty well also. He just looks fit again. He looks healthy. He looks like the top 30, top 25 version of himself. And, I mean, look, this is a guy who won Cincinnati in 2022. Like, we know what Borna George's top level looks like. It's just he hasn't been healthy at all for, like, the last three and a half years. We'll see what George we get in 2024, but this is certainly encouraging signs for him to start his season. A good win for Vekic as well, by the way. Ranks just makes you uncomfortable. And, yeah, you want to play with Pace through the lefty's forehand because she has that big back swing. And yet... If you leave a ball short, she's going to make you pay because there's some heavy action on that forehand wing, and she drives through her backhand so well. Still comfortable, dare I say, 6-2, 3-6, 6-1 win for Donna Vekic. Again, comfortable win for Djokovic as well, 6-1, 6-7, 6-1. You know, Lechetschka was up a break in the second set. Djokovic got the break right back. Djokovic played a really bad tiebreaker. He breaks Lechetschka immediately to start set number two. Beautiful little backhand, returned, uh, knifed at the feet of Lachetka on a break point serve and volley attempt by Lachetka. And, you know, again, in the break to get the first break in set number one, a perfectly executed forehand cross-court pass from Djokovic. Now, I know he had some wrist issues yesterday uh, in the middle of set number two, but he was very quick in the post-match press conference to not only express the fact that he had four vegan cookies for dessert last night, but to express the fact that he has no long-term concerns about that wrist injuries, that it was more just returning to the court early season soreness than anything else. He's fit. He's focused. He's Novak. Like, again, he looks like Novak Djokovic. I don't know what else to say. Von has been a little sluggish. She has been a uh, step, I don't want to say slow, but... I don't know, just a little sloppy early on, just not quite that powerful. I know she won a 6-1 first set, but ultimately 6-1, 3-6, 6-3 over Danilovic in a match where I don't think she should have dropped the set. Like, it was just a little sloppy. It wasn't a coherent start-to-finish performance that you're used to seeing from someone who's got so few holes in her game, right, who can just do a variety of things. So, anyways, we've yet to see her play her best tennis, but... It's a win, and a win is a win for Marquette of Androsa. I suppose that's where you chalk it up. In the final match, uh, Chile, an upset victory over Greece. I know my bo- my guy, one of my favorite Twitter follows, Juan Ignacio, and I butchered his pronunciation there, but one of the best pr- uh, follows we have on Twitter. He was pumped to see his home country of Chile take a 2-1 tie, and I was pumped to see him pumped. I was pumped to see that national pride he had as well. And so, again, one of the best follows on Twitter, uh, a deserved moment, dare I say, for he and chili fans everywhere. Nicolas Yari able to take a 7-5 third set victory over Sakalaritis. You know, again, in the right shade, you were kind of like, is that a Spider-Man mean match? Two tall guys who can hit big serves, hit big forehands, and yet Sekuliritis, his momentum doesn't go into the court the way Nicolas Yari's does in such a pretty... Excuse me, in such a pronounced fashion. Still... You could grind a little bit. Like, pretty fluid for a guy that size. Didn't hate what I saw from Sakaloraitis. Loved what I saw from Maria Sakari. 0-1 victory uh, for the top 10 player to kick off her campaign. 0-1 over Sigwell. Right? That was her first match. I don't think she played in Greece's first uh, action of the Davis Cup. Actually, or of the... In fact, was that Greece's first match? That was Greece's first match of the event. So, there you go. That is her first match of this United Cup. That's weird. They've only played once when everyone else has played multiple times. Again... I'm not really sure what the format of United Cup is. I just know that it gives us a lot of good tennis. And while Tsitsipas was pulled from the singles, we did get to see him play doubles. Him and Sacre upset by Siguel and Barrios Vera. 10-6 in the third. The Chilean duo able to take the doubles rubber. I mean, again, it's mixed. You read as much as you want into that sudden death doubles. I'll tell you what the energy as Always electric in that format. That said... That's your look at the last 24 hours in the pro tennis world. Certainly, again, we are off to a, rust, a bustling start, excuse me, a fantastic start across the board. And it's just great to see all these players back in action, certainly as they all look to find their form as we get into the heavy stuff here in 2024. That said, that will do it for today's show. Again, no super producer Daniel Westop, but thank you to, for, to him for all he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. I thank you to all of you listeners for tuning in, and I thank you as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point for their support, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.